You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Musicians, singers, thank you so much. And uh, allow me to extend to you a very warm welcome from me, particularly if you are here for the first time. Uh, I'm going to dive straight in today. We are Uh, Week five of a series, Seek First His Kingdom. Uh, Obviously, drawing from those incredible words in Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' manifesto, the red letters of the Bible, the words of Jesus that change the world and change our lives. Jesus, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, setting out how to live, setting out how to approach one another, how to approach God, what values to hold to, what conduct to to keep. Mark Twain, the American writer, famously said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that cause me trouble. It's the parts of the Bible I do understand. Uh, And the reality is that in this series, we've been visiting some of the demanding words of Jesus that really are not that difficult to understand, but they are definitely demanding to apply. And I'd love to make a brief comment before we get into today's message about the series in general. I want us to grasp this, and and it's that maturity has to be able to handle tension. Maturity has to be able to uh, handle tension. What what I mean by that, we've been using this phrase for a year now of of maturity and multiplication, where we're, we're not just recognizing a season in the ministry here of size and scale and influence, which is an aspect of maturity, but we want to be a mature people. We've got people getting saved every week, which, which means we're, we're not all going to be fully mature, but we have to keep maturing. We have to have a core of believers that are mature in Christ Jesus. And this is a maturity and a maturing series. It's demanding and it's good for us. Paul writes to the church in Corinth saying, I couldn't address you. Let's get this. He says, I couldn't address you as people who live by the Spirit. But as people who are still worldly, mere infants, preschoolers in Christ. We've let our preschoolers go out. He's saying, you're still, you're in the toddler's room, church. I couldn't speak to you as spiritual people, as spiritual people, because you're living worldly. I gave you milk, not solid food. And friends, we have to be able to rise to the challenging words of Jesus. Over the last few weeks, we've, we've heard and found Jesus saying that we'll be judged according to what we did with what we had. That how our hearts receive the word of God determines the fruitfulness of our lives. We have to attend to our hearts that we must enter by a narrow door that, as Mark uh, said, I'll never forget this, is activated by facial recognition. Do I know him? And to trust our lives to the small, the unseen, the inside work of the kingdom which might not bring forth immediate, spectacular fruit, but we trust the process of the Word of God. And elsewhere, we see Jesus saying things like, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Luke 14, and take up your cross daily, which doesn't mean like wear a a, a piece of jewelry. Take up your cross daily. It means, are you willing to die for me? Are you willing to die to self that we might die in Christ, that we might be raised with Christ? These are demanding words of Jesus. And we might wonder, this is why I'm talking about attention, we might wonder how 
do these demanding words of stewardship sit alongside the gospel of grace that has changed our lives? The gospel of grace that says it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Not by work so that no one can boast. So how do we reconcile that with the doctrines of stewardship? Well, it's a bit like a tightrope walker. And I think we've got an image that can come up, which is uh, Philippe Petit. This is him doing his famous walk that made the film Man on Wire between the Twin Towers in New York when they were up in the 1970s. I mean, way, way, way up in the air. Uh, and, and guess what? He, he's got a, a long pole and a... And although he can handle it, a, a pole with some weight to it. Imagine if you, uh, to save your life, had to attempt to walk that wire. And you could choose your own balance pole, and you were offered a pole like that, and you were also offered as an alternative um, a, a rolling pin. Who, who would want the rolling pin? Why? Because somehow we, we know that actually balance comes in, in the extremity and the reach of a pole. And it's the same idea we have to, as mature people, handle some of the truths of the Bible that, that seem almost in tension with each other. They're not comfortable to hold together. That God is entirely sovereign. His purposes cannot be thwarted. He rules over all things. We have been predestined in Him, the Bible says. God is sovereign. And also we are given free will to choose to, to turn away from Him. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock out, and he who opens it to me, I will come in and eat with him. How do we hold these big ideas? We, we have to be big enough that Jesus is 100% God. He is fully God. The Word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. The Word was with God, and the Word, the Word was God. He's God. He's not 50% God. He's 100% God, but he is also 100% man. He became flesh. He made his dwelling among us. He was tempted in every way like a man and yet without sin. How do we hold this? We have to be mature enough to hold these things together and allow a little mystery in the middle. And so here's the doctrine of grace. It's by, by grace we've been saved through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. We are no longer under the law. The Bible says we are under grace. Thank God for grace. Amen. And we hold, as we reach as far as we can and as weightily as we can into grace and hold it. Don't give it up because it's true. But, but also don't, because of that, not look at the demanding words of Jesus that, that, that calls discipleship from us, that calls stewardship from us, that calls responsibility from us. Because actually they can be held together and if we will hold both, we will be more balanced, we will be more mature. Can someone say amen? amen. Last week Esther uh, visited Titus 2.11. I, I don't know whether you caught it. I'm going to put it on the screen so we don't miss it. This is what the Bible says. Because actually this shows us how we hold these together. It says, for the, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It's by grace. The grace of God that offers salvation to all people. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Can we all say godly lives? You see, it's not to say, oh, well, because of the grace, I can live any old how. So Paul says, shall I therefore go on sinning that grace may abound? By no means hold it and reach over here. While we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory 
of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us all from wickedness, his grace, and to purify for himself a people who are his very own, eager to do what is good. Amen? Amen. So this is maturity. This is seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We hold on to grace and we push on to discipleship and maturity. And if the previous weeks were uncomfortable, I may cause you even greater offense today. But don't email me, email Jesus. <laughs> Jesus.Christ at uh, holyone.god. Come with me to Matthew chapter 6, if you will. We're going to go back to the context of seek first in Matthew 6, 19 to 34. This is what Jesus said. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, and the footnote says this implies generous, the the Greek words, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, footnote implies stingy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Capital M, will come back to that. Therefore, he says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. I wonder some of us, we worry about what we'll wear the brands, the cut, the fit. Is not life more than food? Is the body not more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, Not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you little faith? So do not worry. Say, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear for the the pagans? The unbelievers run after these things, all these things. But your father knows that you need them. I wonder if we can read this verse together, 33. but But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and... All these things will be given to you as well. Let me finish up for us. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. As we've been doing through this series, we're also going to connect to another passage where Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of God. This is Luke 18, second passage uh, for this message today. 18 to 30, Luke 18. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. I've kept these since I was a boy. All of them, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was wealthy. 
Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked then, who can be saved? Jesus replied, as we've already heard in our service, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We can give thanks to God for his word. I'd like to speak today about investing in heavenly treasure. We've looked in this series, really in response to the question, how do we seek first his kingdom? We've looked at beginning with a kingdom mindset. We've looked at nurturing a kingdom heart, entering through a narrow door and trusting in the now and the not yet kingdom. Today, we're going to look at investing in heavenly treasure. And both of these passages, Jesus is challenging our relationship with money, with stuff, with things, with substance. He's challenging what has got a hold of our hearts, money or God. And, and he is suggesting that, that we use what we have, what has been entrusted to us for kingdom purposes, and that by doing so, somehow we will be storing up treasure in heaven. In both passages, it's the same phrase. Store up treasure in heaven, not on earth. To the rich young ruler, if you sell what you have and give it to the poor, you will store up the same phrase, treasure, in heaven. I've looked into the Greek to see if we can glean any more, but it literally translates treasure in heaven. You, th there's no nuancing. That's why every single Bible translation you look for, even the message paraphrase, it says treasure in heaven, because that is what it says. That is what it means. So Jesus is somehow saying there's something in eternity that you will be storing up for when you invest into the kingdom. It's uncomfortable because most of us have a penchant for things, whether it's houses, clothes, cars, travel, eating out, or just paying the bills. And I know this is a delicate subject. I'm aware there will be some who are struggling financially and and the enemy will try and come and somehow make us feel guilty if we're in that space. And there are some of us who are, who are stewarding more than enough. And we can also feel challenged and demanded. So I suggest we pray together. Lord, would you come and help us? Holy Spirit, come and be in the midst of this unpacking of your word. Father, I thank you, Lord, that, that you love us that you challenge us that we might be free. We pray, would you come, Lord. May our hearts not tighten and refuse your word, but openly receive what you have to say to us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Three really simple thoughts from these passages. Number one, the wrestle is real. The wrestle is real. Can we say that together? Who knows the wrestle is real? The, the wrestle is real. I mean, we see this, don't we, with the rich young ruler. Oh, my it's like he's doing good. He's on track. He's kept the commandments. And then Jesus comes and, and asks him the, the one thing that is going to be too much for him. And the wrestle is very real. Jesus wouldn't be speaking into this saying, you know, you cannot serve both God and money if the wrestle wasn't there, didn't need addressing. I, I'm sure many of us have experienced the wrestle sometimes. We know what it's like. It can be hard. I remember 
Uh, when I was at university, I was studying, studying law for my degree. I did all commercial options because I wanted to work in, in London, in the city, uh, in, in commercial law. Uh, because the reason was, not because I really had a passion for commercial law, it's because I wanted to earn big money. I wanted to make partner by the time I was 30 and earn a million pounds a year by the time I was 40. Uh, and in my final year, the, call, the Lord called me out into ministry. I will tell you, the wrestle was real. I went and spoke to my tutor, and, and I told him he didn't help me. He was an unbeliever. He told me I was an idiot. <laughs> and he told me in no uncertain terms that I would regret it. Let me tell you, 30 years on, he was wrong. He was wrong. I'm glad I decided to follow Jesus, but the wrestle can be real. I remember I worked for a church for four years after that, and then some things changed. I ended up working in the marketplace. The Lord helped me. I got an amazing job with a blue chip company. And I had a good salary and a company car, and I worked in a head office with, with a lake and fountains and a gym and a restaurant. I had a, my, my, my corporate American Express card. I had more benefits than you could shake a stick at. And then the Lord called me back out into ministry. I, I didn't want to do it. And I wrestled. I wrestled whether I was really hearing him. And when I knew I'd heard him, I wrestled because I didn't want to do it. I'm like, Lord, send someone else. My four years in, in ministry, I knew what it was like, and, and I liked where I was, and, but I determined I was going to do what I felt the Lord was asking me to do, see Esther and myself, we processed it through and we prayed it, and on the day I was due to give my notice in, a form landed on my desk to, to uh, apply for my brand new company, BMW. <laughs> Let me tell you, the wrestle can be real. <laughs> Get thee behind me, BMW. Store up cars in heaven. In Luke 18, Matthew, well, in, in, in Luke 18, which is paralleled in Matthew 19 and, uh, and Mark 10, we, we see some things about this young man. Well, Matthew tells us he's young. Luke tells us he's a ruler of some sort, whether it's political or, or religious. And they all tell us that he's, he's rich, he had great wealth. And he comes to Jesus inquiring about eternal life. Jesus presents him the commandments, and he says, I've kept all of these since I was a boy. And then Jesus makes this massive ask. You would think Jesus would know how, how to draw someone with huge potential onto his team. With, with a little surrender issue that can be worked on. Jesus obviously didn't go to that seminar at Bible school. Invite him in and, and you know, his heart will change over time. And Jesus says, that's what you need to do. You're lacking something. You're lacking one thing, one thing you need to do. Why? Because something's got hold of your heart. And, and, and it's not going to work. You really, you really want to go after the kingdom. Let me tell you, there's something that's got your heart. and You're going to need to surrender it. You're going to need to lay it down. I love it in Mark's account. It says this, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Wow. He looked at him and he loved him. And he said, you lack one thing, go and sell everything you have. Give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Come follow me. It seems he's inviting him even into the, that the 12 would become 13. He's inviting him into the Talmud. And Jesus uses these words with the disciples expressly in the Gospels with, with Matthew and with, with Philip and with Peter and with Andrew. And it's only found one other place outside of applying to the 12. But he says to this one, and then... Come, follow me. 
but he can't do it. Mark says his face fell. Luke tells us he walked away sad on account of his wealth. It was a tragedy because there was something in his heart that was more precious to him than Jesus. He wanted both, but he couldn't have both. As Esther shared on We Want It, it, it is this or that. Jesus says you can't serve both God and money, capital M. The Greek word mammonus uh, links to the Syrian god Mammon, the god of material things, a spirit that operates over material possessions, that wants to have us. I don't know if, uh, whether you've ever seen something and it's almost, it's got under your skin. It's like, I must have that. You know, a handbag or something. That's never happened to me. <laughs> but something can be something and it just can get a hold of you. It's like, I've got to have it. And then you, and I don't know whether you work or what you do, but then you, you get it and, and it, I don't know, what, what was that about? Does it satisfy? Does it fulfill? In the rooted journey there's a, uh, that we do here as a discipleship journey, there's a, a survey from America, asked Americans how much it would take for someone to be rich. And those earning $30,000 a year said $60,000. Those earning $50,000 a year said to be rich, you'd need $100,000. Those earning $100,000 said to be rich, you'd need $200,000. Those earning $500,000 a year said to be rich, you'd need a million. And those earning a million dollars a year said to be rich, you'd need $5 million a year. Hello? They didn't ask those on $5 million. <laughs> Hear me, I believe it's okay to have possessions. So long as they don't have us. So long as we're okay not to have them. So long as we understand we're stewards, not owners. And the young man went away sad. The tragedy for me is the next time he would see Jesus would be in judgment. When he comes and, and he sees him. I mean, then what? What do you say? And all the stuff that he held on to isn't with him then. It's gone. It's left behind. In two weeks' time, we, we have our Vision Sunday. And we're, we're inviting all of us to come before God with an open heart and to ask him what he wants us to give and pledge and have the faith to obey. Every year for the last, this will be our eighth year, and many of you have been on the journey. And every year that the wrestle can be real, it comes around again. In 25 years of being in Christian ministry, I've never heard anybody say, oh, I love nothing more than a good offering. <laughs> and yet when you get there, it's so liberating. It's so liberating, I tell you. When you get through the wrestle, Oh, Lord, really? You know mammon hasn't got you. Fear hasn't got you. Mean spirit hasn't got you. You're free in the things of God. Uh, the wrestle can be real. I, I remember for Esther and, and myself, when we were, when we were first married, we'd, and many of you have heard some of our stories before, but we'd been challenged by the Lord to, to give a five-figure sum away, and we'd done that. And then uh, a few years a after that, well, just like two or three years after that, um, I, I was working in ministry, and Esther was a, was a full-time mom. And, and, and on, on top of, of doing uh, Christian ministry, church leadership, I, I had a side hustle where I was, uh, I was managing some student properties for some other people. I had eight houses on the go. It was kind of evening, weekend stuff. And, and we had a dream that we would have an investment property. The, the Lord had helped us get on the property ladder. We had a little house, uh, but for a pension, we, we were hoping to invest 
in a property. Uh, and through doing this work, evenings, weekends, the summers, it nearly killed me, turning houses around, we managed to put £12,000 uh, into the bank in order to go towards a deposit. And then there was a businessman that we knew, and I, I, I talked with him about this. He agreed to come in 50-50, and we put an offer in on a house to go 50-50, a student house as an investment property, and we didn't get the house. And then while we were looking for another house, our church came to a special offering time, and I remember the Lord putting his finger on that 12,000 pounds for us to put into the offering. And I remember, like, I, I, that had gotten blood, sweat, and tears in it. I remember saying, Lord, what's your problem? I said, Lord, like, like, you know, you know you can have anything but not that. But seriously, that was how I felt. Like, Lord, you can have anything. I'll go where you want me to go, but, but not that. And it was as if the Holy Spirit said, exactly. Exactly. That's the problem. If you've been willing to put it in, I probably wouldn't have asked for it. The wrestle was real. I remember wrestling, but we knew it was God. You know, sometimes you, you try and shake it off, but you, you know it's the Lord. And we got victory, and we gave it away, and it was joy. But do you know what? It wasn't just that we sowed the money. We sowed the dream, and we said, okay, Lord, we had a plan for a pension. We're going to trust you. And it was actually incredibly liberating to say, God, we're in your hands. It's your problem now. You're going to have to look after us when we're old, because, and you own the cattle on a thousand hills. It was actually very liberating. I'll come back to this story in a minute. The second thing I, I want to, uh, us to, to understand, to clarify, is the return is forever. The return. The return on investment is forever. Jesus is speaking of a radical alternative to live today for tomorrow, to invest into eternity. It's, in fact, this is one of Jesus' key themes. The big idea, I, I think, of this Seek First series is that we're seeking today for something that is going to be an eternity. That we're living today. We are called church. And there's one amen in the house. But I want to tell you, we are called to live today for what we don't yet see. But the return is forever. This is the promise of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs all of them. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is... In both of these passages, Matthew 6 and the account of the rich and ruler, Jesus is saying, don't use your wealth for what's here, stuff that can be stolen or rot and need repair, but invest into the kingdom. Give it to the poor. Spend it on what matters to God. And in so doing, you will store up somehow for yourselves treasure in heaven. And the return on this investment is eternal. If we sow into the kingdom, it's like buying shares in eternity, a dividends that will last forever. We will leave behind anything that we have. And yet, we will have dividends that will go on forever. It's a sobering thought that in a hundred years from now, probably none of us in the room will be alive. Most of us will. It will be our great-grandchildren's generation. And the reality is not many of us know much about our grandparents' parents. And not many of us will be known or remembered. The, the place of our, our graves might not even be known to our great-grandchildren. 
and the houses that we've lived in will, if they're still standing, will be lived by other, in by other people. And everything we did to them will have been ripped out. And the cars that we drove will have become scrap years ago and recycled many times. And probably the companies that we worked so hard for will either have gone bust or have been taken over or no longer be relevant should Christ not have returned. But meanwhile, we will be reigning with Jesus forever. A hundred years. Last weekend, we put these little booklets together. I want to tell you, I, I'm amazed what God has done in this house. Those of you who been on the journey for the last few years, I mean, I'm just looking book here, Dot, and I remember you guys being around like the first year we did this. It's like, wow, look what the Lord has done. I'm amazed through the generosity of this congregation. Tithes and monthly giving, investing in core ministries and mission. And I, I'd, I'd love you to, to take this away and just make yourself a cup of tea or coffee. Coffee's better than tea, but we won't get into that again. And, uh, and just, just read through what the Lord has done. But I just want to highlight for us briefly here today, because by the grace of God, the generosity of this congregation, that the ministries have grown. Kids, we have 250 under 11s here every week. That is, that is a, that's a primary school. God is moving among our youth at the moment. I tell you, it is an incredible season. God's doing something very special with students, with young adults, our growth track, discipleship, being a house of prayer and worship, not only here, but galvanizing citywide prayer. In three weeks' time, it's going to be the 10-year celebration of city praise and prayer, praying for the city, taking a stake in the ground. We've been so central to that, making a uh, uh, having a role in our denomination of 600 churches. Lots of churches look into this house and what it means to be a house of prayer and worship in this day. A Christ-centered community with Sundays and special services. with Like, like tonight. And come tonight for the encounter evening. Mark Beswick going to be leading worship. Helen Yusuf's going to be here. Others. It's always an incredibly powerful time where the Lord shows up. There'll be prophetic ministry. But life groups meeting, we've got 400 people going through freedom in Christ right now. It's discipleship, it's maturity. I thank God, I'm amazed. The care for God's people, community spaces like, like men's football. Nathan Faulkner just uh, at the back, just under the radar, doing an incredible job reaching people. It's just amazing. And thank you for what you do. Compassion and outreach, evangelism, the Alpha Course, which we ran this year, was amazing. Our missions partners, giving and supporting, working. For, it's, there's a quote in the book from Hope for Justice Chief Exec, Tim Nelson, just saying, thank you, CLM, for your partnership. Last year, across the world, touching 200,000 people as they sought to rescue people out of modern-day slavery and human trafficking. So thank you for standing with us from the start. Giving into... Lebanon, Ukraine, and another work overseas. But then on top of that, because of our, our vision offerings, uh, since we cleared the mortgage, we were able to step into other things like our schools were. Since we went live last September, 2,150 young people reached with a kingdom message. Prison ministry you just heard about. CLM Online, 1,000 people reached each week, either live or catch up. Big shout out to those of you joining online. Being able to sponsor Kieran Joseph as chaplain for... Uh, Coventry City Football Club. And a, a great quote from Casey Palmer, first team player, who uh, they're just saying, you know, Kira's helped me in my walk with Jesus. Reaching into that space, players and staff. The Food Bank Center. As of this week, just gone 998 people helped and served since we went live last summer. 
going to Rwanda, the team earlier this year, uh, a thousand kids uh, being reached, like train, training uh, people to go into villages to take the gospel with football, going into 10 new villages and reaching a thousand uh, kids and young people with the gospel, helping other churches, strengthening other churches, standing with Guardian Ballers, an amazing mental health and well-being project in this city. 4,726 people uh, touched and reached with, again, a kingdom message and, and the, the spirit of hope and peace since the launch in March 2021. The Go Weekend this year, over 400 people uh, and 19 different projects. The Jubilee Fund, helping people get free in the last bit of their debt, working with Christians Against Poverty and sharing the message of Jesus, the ultimate uh, person that lifts us out of the debt of our lives. The Worship EP, responding to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to write songs and release the sound of the house. Partnering with Dignify to help a younger generation in particular understand the perils of pornography and how to establish safe living and healthy relationships. And getting ready to multiply. The where is it? Where are we up to? Three, is it three weeks? We'll be starting Coventry North and then being ready to establish a work in Northampton. And I, and I want to say thank you to all of those of you invested in heavenly treasure. I believe these ministries and endeavors are bringing the kingdom, transforming lives for Jesus. Of course, there are many other ways that we can invest in heavenly treasure. I'm not by any means saying CLM is the only way you can do that, but for many of us, it's part of how we sow into the kingdom of God. And I believe Jesus says it's treasure in heaven. Every life touched with the gospel, every hungry person fed, every heart encouraged by the Spirit, every chain broken, every young peace person freed from porn, every prisoner visited, every church strengthened, every disciple made. And, and I, for one, I'm glad I went through the real wrestle every year, and we're coming to it again. Because do you know what? The ugly truth is that if we hadn't been provoked, and for us to, to literally give tens of thousands of pounds over and above our regular giving, I would probably have found a way to spend it on myself. At least most of it, if not all of it. And I'm aware some are obviously under great financial pressure. And if you are, we have a hardship fund for those who belong to CLM and need help. And you might not think you're rich, but on a world scale, Mr. and Mrs. Average Great Britain in a line of 100 people across the world will be the eighth richest. And we must continue to steward for eternity. Steward what we have now. Store up treasure in heaven, not on earth. And thirdly, Sarah, why, why don't you come? The promise is live. The wrestle is real. The reward is forever, but the promise is live. You know, if, if that was it, the wrestle is real, but the, but the return is forever, it, it would kind of be okay. That, that would be a little bit like where we've been over the last few weeks, but here there seems to be something a little bit different. There seems to be something added relating to finance. That if we invest now into the kingdom, somehow we share in a heavenly kingdom. But also there's a promise for today where Jesus says, Therefore seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says, all, all these things will be added to you. It says to the, in the passage of the rich young ruler, and there are some uncomfortable verses that I'm not seeking to tackle today about what people lay down for the kingdom. But he does say you'll receive many times as much. Can we say many times? 
He says, you'll receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. It's the life of faith. He said, actually, store up treasure in heaven and you won't actually lack. Watch what happens. And there's a live promise that isn't just about eternity, it's now. But it's about the journey of faith. A bit like Malachi 3 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. And I, I want to testify today that 26 years of being married, above our tithes and some other giving, Esther and I have been provoked to a life of faith and finance and given many tens of thousands of pounds into kingdom causes. But we've also lived in the reality of and all these things will be added. Now hear me right, we have never, never given to get. We've given to obey. We've tried to live surrendered lives. And yet I cannot deny that we've been blessed. Not rarely the same day. Sometimes not the same year. But our lives are blessed. And God has been true to his promise that is a live promise. That is not only for tomorrow. If you've never dared to trust him, I dare you. He cannot deny himself. He'll make good. His promise. And over the years on this pulpit, I've shared many of our stories. There's one story I've, I've never shared because I've felt so conscious of others that would like to be blessed in this area. And I don't know, maybe I felt it could be misunderstood. Maybe I've just felt it would be insensitive, and I am sensitive. But earlier this year, I felt chastised by the Holy Spirit for not sharing this testimony. You see, I, I talked to you about 2004 when when we were looking to buy a property and as an investment property and the Lord put his finger on what we'd saved up for half of a deposit and, and, and we gave it away and we gave the dream away. And I'll be honest, that was it. But then, three years later, I was, I was driving through what is student land in Nottingham where we lived at the time. It's Lenton. It's about 80-90% student houses. Now, there's one road in that street where there's thousands of student properties that overlooks a park. It's a really beautiful street, and there's 14 houses on that road. In 1994, I walked up that road, and I asked God for a house on that street. At that time, I was new in ministry. I was a student worker. I was earning a gross annual salary of £6,000, which, if you worked it out, would be about half the minimum wage, but the minimum wage didn't exist. And there's no way I could gear the finance. And then we came to... To, to 2004 and we gave away a deposit now it's 2007 and I noticed that our house very rarely do these houses come on the market but there was a for sale sign and I phoned up about it and it turned out that it had come on on the on the market that morning and the Lord spoke to me and he said I want you to have it and I'll bless it as if I've ever heard God I knew God speak to me and a, and a, and a, and a dream awakened in my heart and I thought I don't know how this can happen we had no deposit we'd given it away but during that time, there'd been a, a property boom, and, and, and the value in our little house had increased significantly. There was equity in the, prop, in the property that we were living in, although we were paying the mortgage. Many of you will understand how that works. And so we, we did some maths hurriedly and figured out that if we pushed the term on our mortgage on our house back out, we could release some of the equity in the house and release the deposit and get a buy-to-let mortgage. And the numbers, it looked like the numbers worked. Now, I've been managing student properties for other people for eight years, and so I understood the finance. I understood the market. I understood what needed to happen, and, and we did the numbers, and we did the numbers again and again and again and again and again, and about 3 a.m., we said, yeah, the numbers work. 
And that morning, uh, we put on a full asking price offer on the property because you don't muck about. Normally, these houses don't come on the market. If they do, a property mogul will snap them up. Later that afternoon, I got a call from the estate agents who said we've had four asking price offers. The, the vendor's taken it off the market. Two weeks later, he put it back on the market, 25,000 pounds higher. And I got a call saying, do you want to increase your offer? And we felt the Lord say, no, don't do it. So we said no. And someone else put in a higher offer. And uh, the, the sale was proceeding. And I was confused. I was like, Lord, why have you re reawakened a dream? Like, well, I thought you said to me. And we just left it alone. What can you do? I just left it in the hands of God. And three months later, I got another call saying, look, things are, are dragging through. The vendor wants to sell quickly. He's come back to say, uh, would we like to, uh, to, to be in? And do we want to reconsider whether we want to make an offer? And I said, look, we're still interested in the property. We're not going to increase our original offer. And she said, okay, well, he's not going to go for that. But she phoned me back later and said, I can't believe it. He said he will sell to you at that price. So we got the ball rolling. And, and we started to get things into gear. And then the financial crisis started to, to happen in the UK. And, and the bank got nervous. And what the bank was originally going to lend us, they, they, they withdrew what they were going to lend and pulled it down by 15,000 pounds. And we had no margin. We, we are not business people. We didn't have any savings. And we went back and said, look, I'm not trying to play silly. And the other thing was the Lord spoke to Esther at this moment and said, you're going to get it not only 25,000 pounds lower, you're going to get it for the 15,000 pounds lower than that. Uh, and I said, you better have heard God. <laughs> uh, and, I, uh, and so we went back and said, I'm really sorry. We're not trying to be silly here. We're, like, we're, we're people of integrity. This is what's happened with the bank. Uh, and and we, we'd love to buy the house we can sell, but we can only buy at this. The stage agent said, well, you can consider it off. And what I wanted to say to her was, well, I've heard God speak to me, and I'm going to buy that house. I didn't quite have the courage to say that. I said, well, call me an optimist, but I still think I'm going to buy that house at this price. And two days later, she came back and said, I cannot believe it. I've advised him against it, but the vendor's going to sell to you at that price. I want to tell you this. This went back and forth. It was, I can't tell you the full story for time, but, but nine months, roller coaster ride. At one point, we thought we were losing the house. I went to stand in front of that house to say goodbye to it and commit it to the Lord. And I, no, I, I'm, like, I'm serious. It, because it, this was a big thing for us. And I went to say, God, I, I, I give this to you. And I looked at it, and I knew it was ours. And I couldn't do it. And I commanded it to come to us in the name of Jesus. I said, you belong to us at this price. And the reality is that on the 21st of December, 2017, at the height of the financial crisis, our little family, on a pastor's salary, with a little side hustle to supplement our income, bought a student property in Nottingham's best street for 40,000 pounds under value. Not with a businessman, but with the help of the Holy Spirit. And it stands as our pension provision. And it's helped us to sow generously into other things. And I tell you that not to brag, because I know there are people who would love to get on the property ladder, and it's a struggle. But I also want to tell you we hold it lightly, because it's not ours, it's the Lord's. We've run with it for 15 years or something since then. But if he told us to give it away, we'd have to do it. And the wrestle would be real, but the return would be forever. But the promise is also alive, that you cannot outgive God. We we'll encourage us, people. We seek first the kingdom of God, and we let it touch our wallets. And we trust him. And we live lives of faith. Can we stand together? I wonder if you'd open your hands and your heart.
Lord, I thank you for the grace that you've given me, the grace you've given us, your kindness to us. But I pray, will you help us and would you help this congregation that we would be a people that seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, that learn the secret of trusting you in all things, including the area of finance and substance. Deliver us from being mean-spirited. Lord, deliver us from, from being faithless. Help us, God, that we would trust you and we would please you, that when we stand on the other side, we would find there is treasure in heaven because we stewarded what you put in our hands today. And may you be glorified. I thank you, Lord, you're not coming after our money. You're coming after our hearts. 